Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned. Discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit Learner.co. That's Learner with two L's, dot co. Welcome back to the Learner.co show. Today we have Chris Constable. He's the CEO and co-founder at CoinOS. Guys, what do you think? I'm, I'm excited to have him on the show. He knows a ton about the crypto space and, and actually what they're doing at CoinOS is actually really fascinating. So I'm curious to see what you guys are interested in learning about today. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really interested in today's show. I'm it's I think this is the first uh, person we've had in the cryptocurrency space or in the crypto space. And I think that's that's great because I think we're at the very beginning of um, of how crypto will be used. And I'll be interested to see how how he thinks this looks in say 10, 15, 20 years as opposed to now and how this will be used by individuals as well as companies and artists. Cool. Yeah. This is going to be a really interesting show for sure. Cause uh, Chris seems like a super, I mean, he's in a fascinating space that so many people are, are really curious about. And let's be honest, cryptology itself is super hard to understand. <laughs> it's not a simple concept. Uh, it's just like the underlying math of it. And so, so that's really going to be pretty fascinating. And I think we're all, kind of, uh, you know, there are lots of people who are very curious about it and it has this potential, just as John said, to reshape the world in this way. That's, that's bigger than just the currency side of it too. I don't know if you'll get into that or not. Um, and so there's lots of imagination potential there, but you know, other things just, you know, I, I don't know Chris yet, but just looking at his history, it's going to be pretty cool because he is a you know self-educated. It seems like in, in so many things that he's doing, and and self-educated in things that are really hard, like cryptology. Um, I don't know if he where where he got his background on that yet. So I'm dying to sort of find out. That's going to be really interesting to see what that journey is. Um, and yeah, he's he's got lots of diversity i mean just look at the at his linkedin profile he's got all kinds of crazy stuff not crazy interesting stuff that's like different directions other than um cryptology and and uh, cryptocurrency on there and so that's this is gonna be fun yeah and i think that i'm wondering if that might help with how he looks at bitcoin and cryptocurrency overall um one thing i've heard is that if you were to describe the internet in 1992, you'd be talking, somebody describing it would be, would be, you'd be talking about IP addresses and just nobody would understand it. But, <laughs> but how, when we look at the internet now, it's, it's, we know exactly what it is. I, yeah, nobody talks about IP addresses no, and TCP IP protocols or any of those kind of, like, nobody cares about that. This is irrelevant. And is that part of your point, John? Yeah. And I, I think the thing is that what describing how, what this looks like and how, what this will mean to, to everybody in society, as well as, as business and government, I think that's what's, 
what's interesting. Agreed. No, I, I totally agree. Um, with that, I guess on with the show, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at CoinOS and all the other stuff that you're involved with in the cryptocurrency space is really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's start off with where you grew up. Uh, sure. So I grew up in Ontario, um, kind of split between Peterborough and Ottawa, Ontario. Very cool. So you have quite the educational background. Do you want to give us some highlights and kind of the stuff you took? Um, because I think it's really quite fascinating. Uh, sure. So I did a, a small stint in post-secondary. So I uh, went to the uh, college in Ottawa and uh, I took interior design. And the, the reason I took it, although I was slightly interested, I took it more because it was like the hardest program to get into at the time uh, at the college. And so it was more of just a, the challenge of it I liked. But uh, I realized in there that the curriculum I was not impressed with. For example, um, uh, in, the, in terms of interior design, a lot of it is architecture related. And so we were using a drafting board the entire first year. We never once took computer-aided drafting or AutoCAD in the entire first year. And I was really frustrated with that because I'm like, well, when you get out into the industry, it's 100% AutoCAD now. Nobody's using pen and paper. So on one hand, I appreciated the, you know, the understanding the fundamentals before you transition into, you know, the newfangled technology, if you will. But it was my personal opinion that those should have been done simultaneously. And so waiting until second year before even touching a computer was ridiculous to me. And so totally. I realized that um, that was kind of my where I really hit home that in my opinion is most of post-secondary is just to teach you how to learn as opposed to learning the subject itself in almost any topic. Um, uh, I would say that you can probably learn faster if you're passionate about it on your own um, with a few exceptions. And so, you know, my personal opinion is unless you're going to be a, you know, a lawyer, doctor, engineer, um, post-secondary is great if you just want, you know, to party or to learn how to learn, but, self-taught i think is going to be the future uh, and that's what's way more exciting as somebody who hires people fairly frequently is i'm way more excited to, you know to hear about somebody who didn't sleep last night because i learned a new thing in their industry say a new programming language for a developer or something uh, or you know a new library versus you know i just got a computer science degree and i've you know done the i've done the time and passed and got a mark is not as exciting it doesn't show that you're you know on the bleeding edge and passionate about it which Holds a lot more weight to me. No, I 100% agree with you. And I've had that argument with with people in the past. And, and that's actually, to be honest, kind of what we're trying to do with Learner and track, track all that. Um, but I'm curious then, you've taken some pretty interesting uh, classes around like, can you talk about some of the Morse code and the amateur radio operator stuff that, that you took? Because I'm curious to learn why you took that and how that came to be. Yeah, I think there's two parts to it. So one thing that always stood out for me is like perpetual curiosity on everything. So I want to know how everything works. And so okay. what's the fastest way to do that? So, you know, again, I could go take a communications degree and kind of go through the long strides of it. But if I want to understand, like, how does radio work? Well, you know, there's a book I can have and a quick certificate or course on it. So Part of it was just is, you know, the perpetual curiosity. But about, I guess it was over 10 years ago now, probably 12 or 14 years ago, I decided, 
to ensure that I'm always learning something new and different and kind of, and also I think it's worth noting that whenever you learn something new, you're building new neural pathways, right? In your brain. So right. it's always good to be really stretching your knowledge base outside of the comfort zone into new topics, which is also interesting to me. And so I decided every quarter, every three months, um, I want to get a new certificate in something completely different. And so, you know, having done that now for over 10 years, yes, I have a lot of unusual or esoteric certificates, but, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun and I have a, you know, I'm good at trivia nights now. <laughs> that's awesome. And trivia, trivia nights are actually fun. So I, that's cool. Um, so walk us through some of the other courses that you've, you've maybe taken and your career, because you, your career has been a bunch of different paths, but they're all kind of maybe loosely related yeah actually something that stands out i haven't thought of this story in a long time but when i was um on the top security team for uh information security team for i guess now it's called cybersecurity, but uh it used to be called infosec um so i was on one of the top teams at canada's biggest company and i remember going into a guy who would sort of become my mentor uh genius guy he's got several patents in like cryptography and like just mad genius guy and we met and he's like oh i'm like i'm excited to you know finally meet you and he's like yeah i've heard of you too and blah blah, blah. and so we're all kind of like each other on the back because we met each other and i said yeah you know i started on unix and uh, now i'm in security and i really love it and he's like yeah and he's like you're probably also interested in astronomy you're probably also interested in photography and like lock picking and i'm like what like how do you know all of my hobbies and he's like it's just something <laughs> that's inherent in that kind of personality so that i found that one really stood out to me he named about five different hobbies that i had at the time with even though we had never met so um, I think people who have that perpetual curiosity attached to technology are generally interested in a lot of these topics. Interesting. So what got you fascinated by uh, about cryptology? Uh, cryptography is, um, so we're, we're still actually in this battle, but I would say it's kind of where Bitcoin is today is we play, when you look at, um, you know, oppressive regimes, um, we kind of look, you know, we've been lucky in Canada and the US that we've had, we've been in a relatively, you know, socially democratic environment for everybody in our age group. Um, so we've just never experienced real um, danger, if you will. But what I think that I've always had the foresight on is that the winds can change very quickly. And so when you have a um, leader that you like love or trust, that's kind of, it's easy to kind of forget how quickly those tides can turn. And so what happened in around 93, 94, is there was a fellow named Phil Zimmerman, and he released this open source software called PGP, which stood for pretty good privacy. It was determined that PGP, which was the best way to encrypt your email at the time, and still is, sadly today, there's nothing better um, uh, or easier to use than PGP. Uh, and we're talking 94 till now. Um, and so it was a really interesting thing for me to observe. And that's where I kind of realized philosophically that A, there's never gonna be a time where technology can only be used by the good guys and not the bad guys. And it's also worth noting that the good guys and bad guys can turn very quickly. And so you have, you know, I took this kind of hard line in the sand back then where the benefits of everyone having access to PGP outweigh the dangers of a few of them using it. And we're still seeing this today. And so um, whenever I hear a, a politician mention the three scary things, which is um, you know, terrorism, 
money laundering, or child pornography. These are three very provocative terms that me and nobody wants to ever see facilitated through technology. But I've never, and I've been, in, you know, considered an expert in this space globally in, you know, more than once, and still believe the same thing I did in the '90s, where I believe in the rule of law. I was grown up with where, if Chris, myself, is suspected of doing money laundering or terrorist financing or child porn or any of these drastic, terrible things, then I, I say throw the spirit of the law and the full book at this person and investigate the heck out of that person. I fully support that. Literally billions, if not trillions of dollars in the, in the uh, military industrial complex on surveillance and spying with very little results or outcome from it. Um, a quick example also is in like, um, you know, uh, airport security. We, we've seen, understandably, after 9-11, we needed to feel more safe. But, you know, the laws that got passed within two months after that incident, those laws had already been written, which is really fascinating and scary, that allowed this um, surveillance state to really start to be created. Think of something provocative or a controversial thing. If I went to, um, you know, a cannabis uh, place or, uh, you know, an abortion clinic or these provocative things, that data can now get published by some hacker. And so to me, it's not worth collecting all of that ALPR data for the few possible cases of catching an actual like stolen car with this uh, you know, surveillance technology. Interesting. So do you have any uh, sources or books or, or things that you could recommend around privacy, philosophy, or law that you've kind of learned some of this from? Philosophy or law? Um, or privacy. Yeah, or I mean, I um, I don't have a have books per se. I think we're living in the information age and you can learn anything online right now. So there's no shortage of access information. The one, in terms of books, the only thing that's standing out to me is there was a, a book I read years ago called The Millionaire Fastlane or The Fastlane okay. Millionaire by MJ DeMarco. Um, that book is the, I've read a lot of business books and that was the one business book that I'd say that really stood out because it helps to, frame what help you as an individual reader frame what kind of mindset you have in the business world so that one is more specifically for business slash entrepreneurial folks but right it is one that i definitely recommend in terms of uh of the book interesting so what made you learn morse code um so i had met a fellow group of people who were into amateur radio or ham radio and uh, again as a curious person i went and got my license which is quite easy to get what's called the basic level in Canada. I forget the American okay. equivalent, but in Canada, we had basic and advanced were the two main ones. And there was one in the middle called CW or continuous wave. Continuous wave is the fancy version of saying Morse code. Now, what happened around the time that I got my basic license is the Canadian government, uh, because radio is so sophisticated now with digital capabilities, they were removing Morse code from the Canadian government's uh, military and so when they did that, they eventually were going to remove it from the ham radio certificates. And so as somebody who's decided he wants to get as many certificates as he can in weird, fun things, I quickly applied to do my, my Morse code certificate just because it was going to be going away and it wasn't going to be possible to get anymore. So I have one of the last, if not the last, um, Morse code uh qualifications on my ham radio certificate. So instead of just saying basic 
And I eventually got my advanced too, which incidentally was the hardest certification I've got out of all of them. Even though it was only 50 multiple choice questions in Canada, the advanced uh, CW course is or exam is so intense you have to like know basically how to build a radio from scratch and understand the math behind it as well so so my certificate though is basic cw and advanced which you can't even get now if you wanted because they've removed cw as an option wow fascinating so how did you get involved with coin os and what exactly is it yeah, so I moved to Vancouver in January 2014 um, to do security for one of the first Bitcoin blockchain exchanges in Canada. And so I moved to Vancouver for it, which is where they were based. I'm still still here since. But when I moved here, I um, was told that you could already use Bitcoin. And again, we're talking 2014, uh, which is way before you know most people had heard of it or were using it. And so where I lived is called Chinatown, Vancouver, and where I had to work is Gastown, which was only like a 10, 15 minute walk. But between my home and my work, there were three locations accepting Bitcoin. So including a coffee shop uh, and a yoga studio, um, which is still there today, actually, stretch yoga. And um, but uh, the lost and found coffee shop was accepting Bitcoin. And so on the way to work, I could go in and instead of waiting in the lineup to pay like most people, I could just pull up my phone, send Bitcoin. They would get the little beep that like, you know, Chris just bought his mocha, you know, his $5 mocha or whatever. And um, so I could kind of uh, make it ahead of the, the group. Now, this was when Bitcoin was under um, $400. So you can imagine all of that, those Bitcoin sats that I sent, you know, $5 on 400 uh, today, Bitcoin just hit an all-time high, uh, so yeah. you know of uh, plus sixty thousand dollars. So um, my Bitcoin Mocha purchases alone probably did quite well uh, for that business. But what I discovered is that they were using this technology called Coin OS, which was developed by a, a local fellow who's now my co-founder, Adam. And so uh, it was through Coin OS as a POS, as a point of sale that I had first heard about it and, and was just on the user side. And I followed it for years because Adam is just one of these few, few people who have both got visionary capabilities, but also technical competence to build. And that's kind of the most dangerous combination. If you can have these big future long-term visions and the ability to build for it. And so he's been adding to coin OS since yeah, 2012, I think it was first live. And wow. so, um, you know, in terms of being able to buy or sorry, in terms of being able to use Bitcoin, I think it's the first POS slash P2P platform on the planet, but it's still the one that exists today. Now, uh, having followed him for years in 2017, uh, Bitcoin had its first real big bubble and it hit, you know, 22,000 at the peak and the transaction time and cost of using Bitcoin at, because the network got so congested, it would take you know, over half an hour to do a transaction sometimes. And it, at its peak, it was like over $50 US per transaction. And so it made the CoinOS POS useless. I'm not going to go buy a $5 Mocha and have to pay 50 bucks for the opportunity to do that and wait half an hour. So right. the CoinOS POS just became dead in the water. And so after the bubble in 2018, when the bear market came again and nobody really cared about Bitcoin, or it just kind of was in a pause, um, Adam kept working and a bunch of Bitcoiners were, and they built a technology called Lightning Network. And so Lightning Network is a layer two technology that sits on top of Bitcoin. And so 
Um, Adam, of course, always on the bleeding edge, added Lightning in. Uh, CoinOS was one of the first 100 production nodes to use Lightning. And so mm -hmm. once he added Lightning back in, Lightning allows super fast P2P and POS. And it was then that now any business could start using CoinOS again and never have to worry again about really slow transaction times or expensive ones. But in 2018, nobody was, now Bitcoin was kind of, you know, nobody was talking about it. No, no businesses were eager to accept it because it was in a bear market. And unfortunately, most people are short-sighted in that, like even today, Bitcoin just hit an all-time high and I've got five messages today. How do I buy Bitcoin? People are always talking about it when it's hyped and at its peak instead of buying when it's cheap. And nobody's talking about it is when you want to be a smart investor. And so, sure. um, so now only in the last I don't know, couple of years has the POS really started. Once the hype started again, people now want to use that POS. And so um, I guess this is kind of a long-winded long story. But uh, I, having kept talking to Adam, he then added another layer two technology called Liquid to the stack. So Liquid. Uh, does two extra things to Bitcoin. It allows you to do smart contracts, kind of like what Ethereum does. And it also allows confidentiality to Bitcoin transactions, which doesn't exist on the Bitcoin blockchain. And so all along this time, I kept talking to Adam where he's treated it like a hobby project. It's an amazing open source uh, tool that anybody can use, but he's never charged a dime for it in his life. He just wants everyone to be able to use Bitcoin as a kind of an idealist and i've got the idealist heart myself and i like what he's trying to solve for so i kept saying well why not turn this into a business where we can hire more people make money hire more people and then it can spread faster than just you and so you know we had a bit of a back and forth and then it was only this year it was in the spring where we got talking and he's like you know i'm passionate about it we've got the same kind of big picture vision we want everyone to be able to use bitcoin where outside of coin os like I bet you, even you hearing this or anybody listening, nobody's even thought of Bitcoin actually being usable. People just buy it for this store of value, treating it like gold, waiting for it to go up. But CoinWise's goal from day one isn't that. It's like, put your Bitcoin in us if you want to use it. If you want to be able to send Bitcoin to your friends in less than a second, if you want to accept Bitcoin for your business. So our priority has always been making Bitcoin usable. And that's how I got involved is in the spring, Adam kind of just said, do you want to get involved and blah, blah, blah. We, went, we did it back and forth. And he said, here's the keys, uh, you know, your CEO, let's see what you can do. And so we've been, uh, you know, we've got, a, we're a, a formal company now, a corporation registered, we're blazing forward. We're at this interesting point now where we can't even keep up with customer demand. You know, we're, we're hiring developers as fast as we can. Um, and, uh, and we're maintaining our culture fit. We haven't taken any, in, we haven't taken any investment money, which is, crazy from many people's perspective, but we don't, we want to maintain our autonomy. We don't have to be beholden to any stakeholders. So we can still kind of keep to our vision as we wish. Um, and so I don't know, we might fall on our face, but to this day, all of our code is open source. Any clients that we build for, we say very clearly that everything we build for you is going to be open source. So anybody who uses us um, gets the benefit of all of our other clients technology gets built into your stack as well. And so we're creating this behemoth of a code base now as we have all different clients wanting different, you know, NFT technologies is where most of our bread and butter is right now with our using liquid. We offer a white label NFT marketplace and it's that white label NFT marketplace technology that is just, you know, blazing at an incredible pace way outside of the typical NFT images that most people are hearing of today. We're building the future of NFT technology. So, you know, real estate, um, 
uh, like property rights. Uh, we've got yeah, all kinds of interesting uh, clients in that category. Interesting. So I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the NFT stuff in a second. But how does that tie into your web wallet, the point of sale, the NFT and, and the web wallet? Yeah, it's a great question. And so the um, the the web wallet, the benefit of our web wallet is, hey, that's how most people even know us today. So it's kind of entertaining how our money is actually not make. We don't make money. We don't charge anything for our web wallet. And excuse me, that's how when you go to coinos.io, you're logged right into our web wallet. That's all that most people know us for. Um, now, the only real correlation is because what one thing we've done that's fairly novel is the way that Adam implemented Lightning and Liquid, it's very seamless in the web wallet. So you send some Bitcoin to your web wallet, your CoinOS web wallet. You can now use that as Bitcoin. You can use it as Liquid, and you can use it as Lightning. And you don't have to go and exchange one for the other or trade it or swap it or any of these things. We do everything under the hood for you transparently. So what that means from a user experience perspective is I can send you, Kevin, $100,000 in the click of a button right now in one second, but I can also go on raretoshi.com, which is our, our flagship NFT marketplace that's run by Blockstream. You can go to raretoshi and use that same web wallet and buy an NFT. There's nobody that's had that experience before that plays in the NFT space where you can just seamlessly use the same technology um, for, for a POS, for a P2P, and to buy NFTs, like it's unheard of even still to this day. So it's a that's that's why our web wallet really stands out, and we don't charge for it. So it's very attractive, and you know, people look at us as kind of quote unquote lucky because, for example, El Salvador on September seventh, um, just over a month ago, made Bitcoin legal tender. So now. In, if you're a business in El Salvador as of September 7th, you cannot say no to accepting Bitcoin. And right now, there's only one technology solution from the government called Chiva that allows you to do that. And so I lucked out and got to go down there because I had a business meeting. Um, but while down there, it was hilarious as I was showing people CoinOS. I mean, we're faster, cheaper, less privacy invasive than the POS that they know of so coin os is like spreading like wildfire because we don't even charge for it we just want people to be able to use it so we have no business model tied to our web wallet um it's just for the greater good it's open source so you can take it and run your own coin os if you want so um yeah that's i guess the uh the, the correlation which is kind of loose interesting so i'm curious to get your thoughts on traditional currency compared to cryptocurrency because as these countries start ado adopting it how does that play out and how does that actually change or potentially threaten the current uh money that we use today globally yeah it's um well there is a you know quote unquote threaten aspect to it because bitcoin is now at a scale like it's it's past the trillion dollar market cap that means there's over a trillion dollars you know floating around of bitcoin um it's unstoppable now at this stage so now it, because it got to that level of stage no like state actor can like quote unquote turn it off so you know china india and us are usually the three kind of you know big or Russia, I guess, are the four big players that might be concerning. And like, you know, China, for example, forbidden mining from happening now. But that's just like a legislative thing. Um, there's nothing stopping, you know, Joe from running a miner in his house if he's not detected for doing it. And so like you can't turn off Bitcoin. And so that part is threatening. But what's interesting to observe 
is the origin story back from like the cypherpunks email list on the what the creation of what's you know what was initially just called digital cash and is now bitcoin and so the idea is that it removes that the um, not just the power which is the threatening thing but it creates a more stable currency in the future was the intentions you know you can either go the more you study this the more you just want to go fetal position and you know put a blanket over yourself or you're like or i've got to work on some technology or some solution for the future that's going to hedge against this and so bitcoin has always been a hedge against global economic uncertainty so for example um a few years ago the in government india said with their two highest bills that um, they were saying, oh, only bad people would use these really large bills. So we're going to give everybody like a few months to bring it into the bank. Otherwise, those bills are going to be useless. So now everybody who's been sitting, you know, because they don't trust the banks there. Um, people had these big bills under their pillows, if you will. Um, the, the government forced them to bring them into the back, bank to cash them in. Now, that economic uncertainty created a bump uh, in Bitcoin because every time a country does something that creates economic uncertainty, Bitcoin shines. And so this is today, you know, we've just seen Bitcoin hit an all time high. So how do people actually learn about crypto and how to actually start buying and potentially mining this stuff? Um, well, so crypto is an interesting one because we talked about cryptography first. And so for the purists listening uh, are really upset that cryptocurrency folks have uh, usurped the term crypto. But uh, I assume you okay. mean cryptocurrency in this case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, in terms of uh, how do people learn about cryptocurrency? Well, it's like anything. You just got to choose to prioritize on it, you know. And so there's, you know, when and we've also got a lot of other things going on in the world with like we're in the state of a pandemic still. And so it's a challenging time. And so people have to choose. Are you going to, you know, watch Netflix at night or are you going to learn something? This is a decision everybody gets to have. I personally am of the, uh, you know, the learning side. I would rather I watch Netflix or TV very rarely. I want to spend my time on learning um, is where I choose to spend my time. In terms of where, there's, again, no shortage of where you can learn it. It's just choosing what do you, if you even want to be in the learning category, um, where are you going to spend that learning time on? And I think, to, you know, uh, if Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is where you want to go, I think you can go to, um, I mean, I'm also of the, I mean, I would just say YouTube for simplicity. Most people are video learners at this stage. Um, there are books on it. Uh, it depends on your learning style is another thing that like the education system has never figured out. Uh, everyone has a different learning style. So there's not a one size fits all. If you're a YouTube watcher, then just start watching Bitcoin videos. If you're a book reader, go find some books on Bitcoin. If you're a practical, like, how does it work? Go buy, you know, 10 or a hundred dollars worth something that, you know, you can afford to lose Buy 10 or a hundred dollars from Canadian or us dollars, and then figure out how to send that back to your bank account. So you know how to like what they call on ramp and off ramp with it. Um, you know, send some to coin OS and send some stats to your friends. I can send, you know, in less than 30 seconds right now, if you guys want to, um, Actually, I'll do this live for if, which of course something will fail miserably. But if you go to CoinOS while we're talking, if you go to CoinOS right. while we're talking, create an account. Um, Let's do it. Once you tell me your username, I'm gonna. Uh, yeah. I'm a bit nervous now, so. But uh, tell me, pick a really easy username, and once you tell it to me, I will send you some Sats right now. Um, once you have an account, I can send you Bitcoin Sats or, or Satoshis. Satoshis, for context, is the lowest common denominator of Bitcoin. 
And so there. once you tell me what that is, I can, you can send your friends one cent, you can send them uh, $100 in the click of a button. And that's just something that uh, people have never seen before. So start sending sets. Uh, any business you frequent, like for me, I've convinced my local like coffee shop pub to accept Bitcoin now. So I can go, they get to experience it now for the first time. And, um, you know, and I get to use my Bitcoin, which is a lot of fun. So, um, okay, so I see your username. And so I'm going to um, uh, just type it in right now in my system. So I'm clicking on send. I put in your username. I search it. I find it. So I'm going to uh, send you... Uh, Okay, now are you watching? So click on CoinOS the logo, so you're seeing the transaction yep. screen. Yep. I want you to say, "Got it!" As soon as you see it, okay? I'm gonna count okay. to three and click send. By the time I let go of the send button, you'll have already received it. So one, yeah. two, three. I'm clicking send. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, and so you got you, it. Like you were yeah. still talking, and I got it. Yeah. So that that's like you just saw Bitcoin being usable. And I've never seen anybody's face of like, oh my gosh, that is so incredibly fast and easy. You can try, my username is Chris, K-R-I-S. You can click send and send me half of what I just sent you. Um, so click on send, search for Chris, K-R-I-S, click the search button and, and then make sure. R-I-S. Yep. And then click the yellow search button and it should say sending to Chris if you typed it right. Yep. yep. And then uh, make sure it's not C-A-D or U-S-D. Make sure it says SATs that you're yep. sending me. Yep. And yeah. just put like, you know, 100 sats or something, 500 sats, and click send. And uh, as soon as you click send, I'll have uh, received it. I'm going to hit done. There. And then I have to send. Okay, I'm going to send right now. Done. Wild. Like how fast that was, right? Yeah. This is, this is uh, so, you know, in terms of like using it, you've now, you've experienced Bitcoin being used. You are in the top, like, sub 1% of the planet who's even seen Bitcoin being used so far. So, you know, in terms of like, how do you learn it? Well, now you get, now you can also, with that same account, click on receive, click on amount. Imagine you're up at a pub, you can put, you know, $43.28 is your bill. And then you just scan the code as a user and uh, you can send that pub or that restaurant, uh, you know, that equivalent in Bitcoin sats. So, this is to me a really exciting thing that's really going like wildfire in um, in El Salvador, um, but even in Canada and the U.S., there's businesses now accepting Bitcoin. Um, we've got another fellow in another country in uh, in the global south that's deploying CoinOS uh, quite aggressively. And again, anybody could run their own. You don't have to use ours or trust us. We're fully open source, so you can go look at our code and make sure there's no you know, backdoors or hidden secret things. Interesting. So. I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the NFT marketplace that you, you mentioned a little bit earlier. Sure. So what exactly are, are you building that and how are you leveraging that to monetize your business? Yeah, so, so we're um, effectively a development shop right now, but we're spinning it into what's called a software as a service or a platform as a service. So SaaS is a very fancy tech term for software as a service. So because our technology is so kind of advanced and um, hard to understand for a lot of people, even though it's open source, we say to big brands, instead of you learning how to build an NFT marketplace from scratch right now, we've already built it. You can leverage our knowledge and capability and we'll build it for you and make it look how you want. And so a brand can, we get, we're mostly dealing with big brands 
that say that they want their own NFT marketplace. So they come to us and we'll skin it how exactly they want it to look like. So every one of our clients' websites looks completely different, but it's the same technology under the hood. And they also often ask us outside of images, what other use cases for NFTs can we have? And so for example, we had a uh, client come to us and said, I've made a sci-fi movie, a feature film, and I want to figure out how to leverage NFTs for this. What can you guys do? And we said, well, why not make an NFT ticket? So people had to buy a ticket and then as an NFT, and then we could even check in their browser to prove that they really owned that NFT to be able to watch the movie. And so if you go to silhouettesthemovie.com, it's the first feature film that was that the only way you can watch it is by paying with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. And you'll get a you'll get an image that looks like a ticket, but we can verify that you still own that that NFT ticket in order to watch the movie. So that's just a, another interesting use case that we've built. Um, you know, we've worked for some big brands like we helped Playboy magazine did their first NFTs on our technology. Um, we've got and so. Um, that, that's basically the way that we work is we work with mostly big brands, but, you know, again, Adam and I at our core values, we want to make sure that Bitcoin remains accessible to everyone, uh, including NFTs. And so we've been trying to make it so it's easier to spin up new instances. So we have our developers also working on that, where what I foresee is wanting to become like kind of like the Shopify of NFT marketplaces where you can click one button and you know, put in your logo and your color scheme, and you know, you would have your own NFT marketplace. But uh, it's kind of hard to do that right now because we keep adding so much technology features under the hood that it's going to become kind of like an a la carte service where you're going to say, "I only want NFT marketplaces dealing with digital images. Um, I want right. one that's only dealing with NFT tickets. I want one that's dealing with music." Uh, there's just so many technology options we're adding to our clients that again, we can't even keep up uh, with the client demand right now. And it's really funny because again, if you go to coinwest.io, we don't even have a, a marketing website set up for that we even are doing this. It's all through word of mouth. If someone sees our technology, it's like, well, who did that for you? And again, our clients don't even have to state that they're using us. So one of the funny ones right now is we are just negotiating with a, you know, plus billion dollar organization who's our competition who does NFT marketplaces. And they reached out and said like, can you guys work for us? And so this will be, a, this will be the second big business that is an NFT marketplace agency that we are doing it for them. And so it's an entertaining yeah. position we're in right now where we're just kind of dominating the Bitcoin NFT marketplace space and no one, even like billion dollar agencies can't keep up with, you know, our little shop that no one's heard of. Very, very cool. So where do you see the space in maybe five, 10, 15 years? Any thoughts? I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of learning, for example, and I, I just shared this, like Bitcoin is definitely worth learning in terms of just to keep it up at the learning level for a second. But the three spaces to pay attention to if you're is decentralized finance or DeFi, NFTs, and, which is non-fungible tokens and DAOs, which is decentralized autonomous organizations. DeFi, DAOs, and NFTs are going to be the future. They're going to be prolific. They're going to be ubiquitous in everything we do. And so you just need to, it's kind of like me saying to you right now, hey, 
we're bringing this new technology called the internet. It's 1995. You should really understand it because I think it's going to be powerful. And people are like, oh, it's technologically advanced. I don't really understand it. And most people are going to be doing that. But whoever's listening to this right now, I 100%, there's no job that's ever going to give you a bigger opportunity than DeFi or NFT this year. This year is the unique crystallization or creation of an industry that's going to be ubiquitous in the future. So when people are hearing of NFTs right now, they just think of these images where people are making millions every day, flipping digital images, not realizing that that is the literal tip of the iceberg of NFTs. I think, you know, as we talked about credentials earlier, when I say to you, I've got my PhD from University of Wisconsin, how do you know that I really do? There's been cases where people are faking their degrees. As an okay. NFT, I can show you on my CoinOS wallet that I actually have, uh, you know, my interior design degree from the college I have it. That's going to be the future is credentials, for example. Every certificate you have, every degree you have will be an NFT that can instantly check from the authoritative source. So again, an NFT is just a digital provable asset. That's all it really is, a unique one. So you'll be able to prove what they, you know, the fancy term is the provenance. What, where is the origination of that? I can click on it and say, oh, that's actually from, you know, University of Wisconsin or UBC here in Vancouver. Uh, so there's no faking it anymore. And this is the other thing is people, even on the image debate right now, it's like, well, why would I spend, you know, $1.1 million on a digital image of a, you know, of a rock? when I can just copy and paste that. Well, copying paste it, when I verify the provenance of it, it's not gonna say that's a proper ether rock. So this is what people are missing is to prove that I actually own that thing is what NFTs do. NFT tickets is a great example of that, right? Now that we've built it, you can, like we've invalidated scalpers now. You can actually validate that that digital image, that NFT ticket is from the actual source that you want it to be. So you can even allow resale, but knowing that the resale is a really valid ticket and it's not a fake one. No, I 100% I find this stuff fascinating and we could probably go on for another hour, but sadly we're out of time. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about CoinOS, the web wallet, the point of sale system and anything else you want to mention? Yeah, I would say just, um, I mean, uh, uh, coinos.io. Um, we are working on a website slowly. So, um, but ask questions. Uh, I'm active on Twitter. So we have coinos wallet on Twitter is our corporate account. My personal account on Twitter is CQWWW, which actually I'll give you a fun, quick story that I'll, sure. I'll do a reveal after, I don't know how many years on Twitter I've been 12 years in 12 years. I've had two people say, Oh my gosh, that's a hilarious nerdy username. But most people see CQWWW and say, why on earth did you pick that those weird five letters? Well, in Morse code or CW, when you go on Morse code for the first time, you want to like tap your key and say, is anyone there? But instead of typing out, is anyone there? Is anyone there? Is anyone there? The short form for that is CQ. So whenever you go on Morse code, you're always saying CQ, CQ, CQ. That's saying, is anyone there? Is anyone there? Is anyone there? So my Twitter handle of CQWWW is kind of a nod to that saying, is anyone there World Wide Web? And so that's <laughs> what my username is on Twitter. That's awesome. Well, Chris, again, I really appreciate our conversation. And thanks again for doing it. And uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks for having me. And uh, happy learning, everyone. Thank you. OK, bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Learner.co show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app, or want to get in touch, please visit Learner with two L's at www.com. 
L-L-E-A-R-N-E-R.co. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening, and keep on learning.